Genre Stuff, a podcast where we read and review genre fiction. You're here with Bree, me, a lover of all things speculative, and Scott, say hi. Hi. A skeptic of all things fantastical. Today we're joined by super special guest host friend, Stephen Markley. Hello. There, I didn't tell you to say hi. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Markley author of Publish This Book and Tales from Iceland. 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 Tales of Iceland. Icelandia. Tales of from Brie. That was a pretty good introduction. (laughs) (laughs) You knew one of the books. (laughs) All right. Today we read Peter Watts's Blind Sight. Scott, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Maybe we should talk a little bit more about Steve. Oh, Steve. like how we know each other? Yeah, how do, how do you know us? Well, Scott and I have been All friends. All right, anyway. <laughs> so, Blind Sight, a 2006 novel by Peter Watts, puts the hard in hard rock cafe. I mean, hard sci-fi. In the book, preposterously set in like 2080, some unknown... We're never getting there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> some unknown, presumably alien force has interrupted a perfectly fine budding techno-dystopia on Earth by appearing in the sky and taking dozens of pictures of the planet. This naturally upsets everyone. What are they doing? Who are they? Did I just read the word vampire? In answer to the last question, yes. We did read the word vampire. Some, I think, corporation has reanimated a long, dormant, hominid ancestor of humans that used to roam the African plains, preying on people and being generally super intelligent. So they're known naturally as vampires. Regardless... The world's brass, you I think. You forgot sexy. Apparently they're sexy. He's sexy to me. The book didn't think he was, but I still believed he was sexy. Just for his vampirism. I think you're bringing your own vampire baggage to well, bear Well, don't we all? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, so regardless, um, the world's brass. It's never clear who sends this mission. But they decide to send a crew into space to rendezvous with whatever Kodak-taking alien crew this is. Someone's got to introduce them to humans. Unfortunately, there aren't any humans on this mission. Just a vampire captain, a four-personed, multiple-personality disordered linguist, some neurologically modified scientists, a galactic clone army, and Siri, our hero. A synthesist, whatever that is as well. Our heroes finally make their way to the aliens, only to discover that it's not quite E.T., but some strange bug lizard that's either the stupidest smart creature in the universe or the smartest stupidest creature. These are basically just plot points upon which Watts intersperses his own broader thematic concerns, namely the nature of consciousness, intelligence, and what it means to be human. Okay, so before we get into that, though, a little bit, Steve, as our first actual guest host, we had a contest on our webpage to see who we should have and here. And it's just so weird that I knew both of you and won the yeah. contest. <laughs> I didn't think that you'd accept. Yeah, yeah. no, this is, this is great. I gotta say, first time... Guest, but long-time <laughs> listener. Like, Very good. This is, this is my first podcast listener of the week. I think it's weird that you guys came along right as Serial came along and that you did not overshadow Serial <laughs> and it was the other way around because this is the far superior podcast. I have murdered a couple Asian girls. <laughs> so I don't know. We can maybe get some overlap there. Yeah, no, good. similar demographics. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I see it. I mean, I'm kind of upset you won because... I mean, Stephen Hawking was in second place, which mm-hmm. really would have helped out. Other, another great Stephen. <laughs> exactly. See, I'm already concerned by this banter because I doubt your flattery. You're trying to edge me out. 
<laughs> I can Brie, listen, see. I think if there's one problem with this podcast, it's that you're taking my spot right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know, I feel it. And you two are going to love Blindsight, I can already tell. We don't know, well, we maybe, don't know. Maybe we should get into the book a little bit. And right. then... Well, no, no, before we get that okay. far, I want to hear a little bit about Steve's relationship. We started out our oh, okay. podcast. Oh, yeah. So, like, the most pertinent question for Steve right now is, like, the Cavs are going to probably win the... Please, no. <laughs> Regardless, Steve, what's your... So we started this podcast by talking a little bit about our relationship to fiction of this kind, however you want to call it. What's, what's your relationship to that? Yeah, so let, let me say that uh, I began my reading life as a huge fan of genre fiction, specifically sci-fi. I think every... Boy of my age was in love with Michael Crichton. So good. Jurassic Park. Dreamy. Sphere. Congo. From that point, <laughs> I moved on to, to Stephen King. Still a very big Stephen King fan. Read almost every book he puts out. <laughs> there was an unfortunate period when I was also in, very much into Dean Koontz. Uh, this lasted from about seventh grade until... Uh, last year, <laughs> what finally, age, age thirty. What finally ended it? For there you? were just too many hyper intelligent dogs. Mm. I felt like the hyper intelligent <laughs> dog theme. Finally, I was like, "That's that's one too many dogs that know how to spell." So okay, so so that so it's a pretty deep reading history, but it seems like it has kind of that sci fi bent. Yes, uh, I will say that Bree's obsession with fantasy I find preposterous <laughs> and uh, ignorant. Well, so. it's good that we can just put out the premise here that you're a misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we got right to the heart of the matter. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll circle yeah. around back at the end. Well, but. All right, let me, let me throw this, because I listened to your guys' first episode, and I found that was really fascinating. Just because like I have such a hard time with fantasy, mm-hmm. I just think uh, like it's just a genre of deus ex machinas where, like, my magic can beat your magic until his magic is actually better, and then mm-hmm. I'll throw this other magic, and it's just like, well, let's just... I love that book. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You forgot uh, dragons. Yeah, and, dra- and dragons. But, you know, I'm, I'm into Game of Thrones. I saw the Lord of the Rings movie. So I have some, I have some like, context, some basis mm-hmm. for, uh, for being a part of this conversation. No wonder you chose a sci-fi book. Uh, next time you can make me read some awful, like, half-porn fantasy novel. <laughs> it's or... coming. Literally. <laughs> that's our yeah our podcast about that will just be check-ins with when we came yes exactly <laughs> okay so should we get into the book a little bit then i don't even know where to start with this maybe we could read a little passage to give a, a flavor of what it's like i just a paragraph on 25 listeners will know what brie was probably dealing with the first <laughs> 50 pages in because everyone else speaks in Gleep court <laughs> exactly <laughs> He's talking about the spaceship here. She'd taken us a good 15 AUs toward our destination before something scared her off course. Then she'd skidded north like a startled cat and started climbing. A wild high 3G burn off the ecliptic, 1,300 tons of momentum bucking against Newton's first. She'd emptied her pen tanks, bled dry her substrate mass, squandered 140 days fuel in hours, then a long cold coast through the abyss, years of stingy accounting, and thrust of every anti-proton weighed against the drag of sieving it from the void. Teleportation isn't magic. The Icarus stream couldn't send us to the actual antimatter, only the quantum specs. Theseus had to filter feed the raw material from space, one ion at a time. For long, dark years, she'd made do on pure inertia, hoarding every swallowed atom. Then a flip, ionizing lasers, strafing the space, a ram scoop thrown hard in a wide break. The weight of a trillion, trillion protons slowed her down and refilled her gut and flattened, flattened us all over again. Theseus had burned relentlessly until almost the moment of our resurrection. 
Steve fainted from pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad you. I'm glad you read that because that saves me from all the places I highlighted in the book. Where I, I want to hear like, them all too. I don't know what the fuck is going on here, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, I'm into. I'm into it. All right. right. For, I, yeah. I thought that worked in a way. Because through the first half of the book, he would say something. I had no fucking idea what he was talking about. But then the shit that was important, he would come back to. Mm -hmm. Right? And he would re-explain it in more comprehensible ways. But a lot of this did involve entire paragraphs in which I thought, okay, I'll go with it. Like, I get it. Space. Right. I think to his credit, he'd have paragraphs like that. And then the last sentence would be put in a kind of like pithy way of what just happened. Oh, they're off course. So it wasn't until for me, and not to, because I actually did like this, despite the fact that no dragons had sex with maidens. Um, you weren't reading very closely. <laughs> uh, I was with the jargon the whole time until the end, in which I did think it overwhelmed the action. With right. like the epiphanies, with Sarasti. Well, I mean, it seems to me like Watts is, was trying really hard to make, like, this is a sci-fi concept that no one's ever thought of. Like, this is, like, my, mm -hmm. like, weird, crazy spin on it. But actually, at the end, it was very conventional. And it was just sort mm -hmm. of, like, send the spaceship into a suicide mission into this, like, alien seed or whatever the fuck it was. Right. We, we could talk about maybe what that was. But, yeah, I think if we, like, it seems pretty conventional in that way, right? It, it's a Jerry Bruckheimer movie in the end. Oh, so good. Just in the end, though, because I did think, I thought it did a such a good job for a lot of it of, okay, because I feel like something sci-fi is supposed to do that maybe is a little cheesy or whatever, but is make you think, like, these are aliens, and knowing aliens will make you know yourself in a new way. And what is alien, and are we alien to ourselves, etc. But I thought this book, like, really did that kind of, just for instance, the title with its, its description of blindsight and the fact that there's a real disruption in between, like, patterns and meaning. Like, if you can read the topography, the meaning comes along for the ride. We are basically not in control of our bodies through like evolution and neurology. Absolutely. And I thought it had done so well throughout the book, and then it already had those ideas. It didn't need. In the end, it was finally time for the action oh, to like. You need to dwell on them more. Yeah, for the action to take over and like realize those ideas, or right. for the characters to fulfill those ideas. Right. Which like what the fuck, Juka Sarasti. Juka Sarasti, great character. The vampire. The vampire. <laughs> Although that... such a sci-fi vampire, right? Oh, well, that's what I love. I love, like, I hate the, when the vampire turns out to be like, oh, Dracula was Judas Iscariot zombie corpse. That's uh, Dracula 2000. <laughs> didn't catch that reference. Uh, but yeah, like, I love, I love the shit about, uh, uh, you know, how vampires, like, there's no right, there are no right angles in nature. So as soon as right angles come along, they're like, they have to shoot these anti-Euclidean <laughs> concoctions into their veins. Like, I love, like, the, the scientificizing of, of vampirism. That's a great way to put it. That's, what I, that's where I ultimately came down as well. A dual, like, scientification and historicization of, like, mm -hmm. vampires. I mean, it seemed like such a, an easy ploy to say, like, I'm going to throw vampires in here, in a way. I mean, he built them into a world that I see, into the world that felt kind of, like, unique for a sci-fi book, right? Because, like, sci-fi is, is fantasy in a way. Sure. But rarely does it change the past, you know, and I thought that was kind of interesting in that most sci-fi would take like a date as it start, you know, in the 20th, 21st century and then say, here's the shit that's going to come after. This one did that, but also inserted this strange biological creature into the, into the, like the past, which is usually the domain of fantasy in a way. I mean, I thought that was cool because sci-fi, sci-fi vamp vampires are usually like the result of a pandemic. I don't know what you meant by sci-fi vampires, Mark. Or like the... The guy who wrote I Am Legend in the 50s. 
He was a vampire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had like a terrible disease. Okay. It was AIDS. Oh. But um, <laughs> I think the sci-fi vampire appeared actually in like 1908 or something. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> or like early on. Well, no, because we just read Agyar. I liked it in this book because of the evolutionary glitch, whatever that was. But I usually think sci-fi vampires are really uninteresting because they're just animals. They, there's no sex for you. Well, I was really attracted to Jufus Sarasky. You were? Yeah, for Me sure. Me too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying. I was in on it. Yeah. yeah, like his visor was like a geisha covering herself. Um, yeah, he never said anything. He had the real like stoic, quiet thing going on. I just wanted to hear. It was hot. Exactly. Interior monologue. What about the implication at the end that it wasn't him all along? Oh, I know. Right? That he was actually the spaceship. Because, as he says... See, that to me was like some exp- some ordinance that Watts tried to explode at the end that, that didn't really, like, mm. function for me. Just because, like, okay, we knew that the spaceship was this, um, you know, this artificial intelligence right? Uh, that was supposedly in charge the entire time, but uh, he, it wasn't a character itself. That right. AI wasn't a character at all, so when it finally came to bear on the plot... I was like, well, all right. And I didn't totally even think, I mean, I felt like by the point we knew that, it had become sort of so convoluted that I thought, like, maybe sometimes that's the spaceship, but I don't know. <laughs> you don't want to get rid of the vampire. <laughs> or no, like, by that point, I really just felt like, yeah, like, the whole philosophy was actually working to, like, obfuscate what was going on. I think so as well. I mean, yeah, it was when things got most dire plot-wise is when they started navel-gazing the most mm-hmm. at the end of the book. Though I did love it, like at the end of the whole section, it was the last bit before Charbidus, the third section begins. Mm -hmm. Charbidus, I've never known. Charibides. No, I mean, he's the boatman, right? But like, I don't, I've never known how to pronounce his name. Wait, how do you pronounce it? Yeah, I think you did it better than I. Juca Sarasti. I heard (laughs) (laughs) Juca. I kept saying Yucca. Yucca. What? No. Oh, God. (laughs) In a lot of ways, for our other one-time 14-year-old boys out there, you'll see some relationship thematically between this and like or sphere especially listen if i could show you my notes right now i literally have the same thing written in okay okay so i'm wondering how did this how do these two books match up to you and well obviously sphere crushes this in every single Mm. regard but i I have you read those mike michael Crichton books as an adult or is it like the childhood no childhood nostalgia why would i ruin that okay okay yeah (laughs) No, I, I, I love the concept when there is, is a team of people isolated somewhere mm-hmm. trying to figure out this mystery. And that's, and that's the best part of this book is when these characters are sort of going back and forth about like what mysterious components of these, these creatures, what are the little like uh, little parasitic aliens that come flying out at them? What are those called? The scramblers? The scramblers, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like trying to figure out the biology, the, you know, the, the consciousness of them. And it's just like all that stuff to me, is great. Mm-hmm. The part where the book sort of collapses is, first of all, Siri's backstory, which, who gives a fuck? <laughs> um, and then, as you read, like, any time it, like, enters into, like, action, it's basically incomprehensible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like that incomprehensibility was, like, also a product of what, to me, kind of separated it from maybe, like, a sphere type thing. Hmm. Like, on a pure reading level, he was trying to do something more, right? I mean, like, to give, like, this strange combination of propulsiveness, but also, like, really heavy-handed scientific overemphasis sometimes really worked for me in that I was, like, born along on this wave of, like, I mean, yeah, pros. hand it to him. Worked a lot for the yeah. first I thought so. two-thirds of the book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it wasn't, like, bereft of, like, metaphor or... I mean, he was... 
throwing everything in there. Oh yeah, it did have like shards that made me feel things. His description of one of the mental illnesses that they experience, you know, when they when they go into like the belly of the beast or whatever that is, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought were neat. And oh my god, we have to talk about the ending section at some point. The that, ending? like extra that he tacked on to the book. To oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh my, so shameless. <laughs> but about well, I'm also really sensitive to like the the white space on the page. So he ended mm-hmm. a line with this, and I got goosebumps. And it was someone who had that disorder that Amanda Bates gets, maybe when she thinks she's dead. Mm. And it was a quotation from some patient in a mental institution, and it said, um, "I once had a heart. Now I have something that beats in its place." Mm-hmm. Uh, you like that yeah. one? <laughs> <laughs> and even I really disliked, and it was the only part of the book where I was like deeply rolling my eyes. His relationship with Chelsea, I thought, was such a gross embodiment. Totally of, useless, right? Of like, and just like guys don't want like emotional commitment, and like girls. Are That's true, though. It. You should <laughs> you should take note of that. Yeah, yeah. I know. I need to think about it. But I loved when she died, and it ended with the um, the bit where he said, "Like I did want to talk to her, I just didn't know the algorithm." No, that was I thought that was no. awful. Right to my heart. <laughs> that was just right so to bad. my heart. Didn't really add anything to you. <laughs> no, that was terrible. That was terrible. You're categorically wrong about that. No, I like that. <laughs> no, I, I, I just feel like all right. So maybe you school me on genre fiction now, where it's like the way in which genre writers, because especially sci-fi writers, because they're dealing with all this like sort of high-level bullshit that like is not accessible to sort of the lay layperson. Their attempts to humanize it is to like. Hmm. Oh, we've got to give him a love interest, and we've got to give him some family drama. He's got to mm-hmm. have beef with his mom, and you know, like all this stuff. And those were the least compelling parts of the book by far. And actually, I thought of all the characters, the main one, Siri, is the least interesting by like quite an extensive margin. I would agree with that. This goes to maybe a bigger question. Maybe I'm just like don't understand. But so the reason that everyone on board eventually hates him. And the reason, but it also the reason he is there. It and the reason unclear. It's clear in Watts' world, or in his mind, of what it is. It's the same reason that Chelsea eventually got mad at him. He was, I mean, what was... He wouldn't it? say I love you. No, what was his disability when he was a child? Uh, he had he, epilepsy. He had epilepsy. So he had, a, like, massive, what, rejiggering... They, uh, like, took out half his brain, right? Mm-hmm. And then he has, like, some right. mechanical component. Right. But the implication was that the way that he deals with the world now is that like, he doesn't feel, but he knows it's like an algorithm, the Chinese room thing, right? Right, right. But for such, like, a technologically advanced, like, evolutionarily minded people, why does that matter to them? The whole points they're making with all these other points, all these, like, other discussions is that we basically do that anyway. Like, mm-hmm. we're our minds a machine. Spindel and those others would be talking about how human body and mind's a machine and there's no such thing as free will and that our responses linguistically or otherwise are pre-programmed but then they're mad at Siri because he's not human enough. Yeah, well, that's why the pathos of that component of the novel didn't work for me at all. It didn't matter to me. And meanwhile, I thought like sort of the Amanda Bates character <laughs> was way more interesting. Mm. Obviously, Jupiter really? Rasti, big fan. <laughs> Jupiter, unfulfilled, though. Yeah, totally unfulfilled. Yeah. I, why did we never get inside his head? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was waiting the whole time. Right. Because they built it up, like, for Sarasti's big moment. And then his big moment was, I have to almost kill you to make you realize that, like, you're just, like, a, a speck in the eye of the universe. And yeah. that was a really underwhelming. It wasn't until two pages afterward that I realized that he'd been attacked by Sarasti. I mean, this is that kind of, like, veiled language sometimes. Hard, it's hard to decipher. We've all been waiting for one, either 
Sarasti to go crazy or like to embody his predatoryness or to like a, a first person perspective from him to get some shit, to get some knowledge. And we got the former and it was just kind of underwhelming. I also didn't buy that Sarasti uh, wasn't self-aware or didn't possess like consciousness. Do you remember? Like, I feel like sure. part of the epiphany of the book was that Sarasti, like the aliens and like the AI, like sees the bigger picture. Well, which that- was interesting, which is like, okay, mm-hmm. so consciousness is like, or self-awareness is this evolutionary fuck up. Mm-hmm. But I think that was an interesting part of the book. But right. then to apply it to Sarasti, like, that didn't make sense to me. Because- no, previously they'd said like, we're not even a different species. Yeah, right. Yeah. Of the big, like, I'm making philosophical points, that one that Steve's best like interwoven into the actual plot Hmm. which is once you see these other alien creatures and you actually realize to the extent to which they're actually insanely powerful and smart to a point but then they come to the point where like they are this powerful and smart but they might have not have consciousness i think that kind of did it for me in a way can we talk a little bit about like the aliens rorschach or yeah like it's a build-up like it's a sci-fi book how does he do the aliens well let's hold let's keep those aliens on on hold for now and come to our first recurring segment. <laughs> Da-ding! You guys gotta get some music for that. <laughs> <laughs> world world time. World build. World love. Oh my god, ask me first. Okay. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> question is, how would you do in this world? This is a- the problem with this question though, is we've gotta we've gotta understand who do I get to be in this world? Because oh. guess what? I'm choosing Juca Sarasti, and then I fucking want to be in this world tomorrow. No, no, no. You don't understand the segment. You're I, you in whatever you oh, are. Oh, that makes the segment hard. Do you want so to So I'm on the ship. World? No, you're not on the ship. You just live in this universe. Yeah, no, you're I do, because like, I get to go to heaven immediately. Like, I get to, like, No, I want to do it. I want to do this one. Steve <laughs> is the backup to one of the guys who dies, and Steve, like, wakes up, and now he's in charge of, like, figuring out the biology of this alien. <laughs> How do you do in this world? <laughs> no, I'd be great. I'd be great. I'd, uh, I'd, uh... You have to go for octopus spider. <laughs> I just thought Amanda Bates was sexy, so I'd be in the world no matter what. Like, she was kind of sexy. Yeah. I was actually speaking, you mentioned earlier Game of Thrones, I was imagining Amanda Bates as the woman who plays Brienne with a shaved head. Oh. So I would hold back from saying the I big thought night. she was that sexy. Ooh, yeah. ooh, I'm sorry. Insert actress's name. Um, <laughs> is she for... supposed to be sexy on that show? They're missing it if she is. It's <laughs> a good point. Bria, as usual, fucking with transgender people. <laughs> She's not transgender. Oh my god, Steve doesn't understand what transgender people are. True. How, how would you do in this world? Alright, well, Steve hinted at it at the end. I would do fucking great in this world, and I would go there tomorrow because I'm in heaven from the second I get there. <laughs> Even when they're just doing like test runs for heaven, I want to be a subject. I'm there the whole time. Why isn't everyone in heaven? I especially feel like with part of the whole thinking of the book, which is like, you know, we can't trust our awareness. We're like governed by these uh, neurological forces beyond our control. I mean, all the characters already give themselves to that idea. So like, fuck yeah, change your awareness, enter heaven. Although I wouldn't just be colors like his mom. I would be super beautiful. <laughs> okay. What, about, what if you were on the ship? I would kill myself as soon as we left. We'd put you in the pod and That's come back to life. That's how I feel about all spaceship books and movies. I would just immediately commit suicide. <laughs> the world's counting on you. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> all right, all right. That makes sense. All right, how about you, Scott? Are you going to live there? I do great. You're tossing over this existence for that one? This gets back to I wouldn't know how well I'd fit in because 
for all the interesting little points in this book, if you try and piece all of this together and think about what the world actually looks like, it falls apart, right? It makes no sense. Who's running this world? Who? Why, why is the first ship we sent to go find these and talk to these aliens so horribly run? Why the is there a vampire The in political charge? and economic institutions are really opaque. <laughs> exactly. I, I, will, I will agree. And, the, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, the fact that this is supposed to be, like, 60 years from now or something <laughs> is fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, this needs to be at least, like, 2237. 22 years from now. <laughs> yeah. We right. need to be working on vampire-recumbent DNA immediately. <laughs> oh, they're going to get it from the amber. Exactly. Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah there it is. I didn't read those books. That's Michael Crichton. Your loss. So good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that, and I didn't get, which I'm surprised because I felt like the book was expansive in a lot of sense, but I didn't see any sense of other countries or anything. There, I mean, oh, there's except nothing. in the language thing. And I loved that. Did y'all? The, oh, I liked that part. The one aside when he said, like, actually, if you could hear what they were saying, they're speaking an odd mix of Hindi mm. and English and Spanish and all of that. And that was a nice way to say, like, hey, I know this is like a novel and I'm like basically info dumping all over the place. <laughs> gets did a little dirty. Info dumping me? Gets a little, <laughs> <laughs> did. gets a little dirty in here. The only place name they'd ever say is Boston. But I mean, you raise a, an interesting point and maybe it's, it's, it's silly, but yeah, why not just set it in 2283? Right. Instead of like a time where all like something like, some people are going to be alive for. <laughs> right. And clearly none of this is going to be capable of happening. No, I don't think so. Shit. Now I'm calculating if I'm going to be alive. Then. You will not. I'm so scared of death. There's, well, you should be. It's really bleak and terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You'll go to heaven. Don't worry. There's no such thing. What? All right. <laughs> the book, man. <laughs> no, plug me in. Yeah, that was a reference to heaven is for real. I don't know if you guys are going to do that book on your podcast. <laughs> we <but> should. <laughs> Did you see that that kid just came out and said he lied? I can't believe it. Oh, my God. This is totally ridiculous information. No, it's not that, but I can't believe he admitted it. It's a different book, but yes. Okay, yeah, it's a separate thing. I can't believe he admitted it. Like, that book had to make him and Kevin Sorbo a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's God's Not Dead. Oh, shit. (laughs) Not even paying attention to the God's Not Dead having this real area of publishing. Those are the same right? The Heaven Industrial Complex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, before we get back to our aliens, I was wondering about... Oh, wait, I want to talk about the aliens. Okay, that's why. Usually when you say before we get back to it, <laughs> you imply that we will, but there's something else that the person wants to say. I feel like you're ignoring <laughs> the aliens. Do you think they're listening? <laughs> they wouldn't know if they were anyway. They would only act upon Whoa. it. The Chinese room. I love the Chinese room. You did? Yeah, I thought <sighs> that was cool. I didn't like it, see? Because, like, don't we all... You, I don't. See, that's what I didn't understand. Don't we all use Chinese rooms to comprehend the world? Okay, in a way I So why do they hate Siri? And that's why I was a little not into the book's fixation with sociopathy. Is Siri a sociopath or vampires are naturally sociopaths, etc.? Because, uh-huh. like, that's just a fucking word people made up 90 years ago. What? Um, vampires? <laughs> 1908. <laughs> right? Sci-fi vampires, please. We're talking, okay. like, 1730s for vampires. So while I wasn't totally into that, I do like that they made it very literal they embodied it like yeah he is a sociopath because half of his brain is missing you know literally and i thought there was something neat about that whereas i kind of liked his family shit not only for emotional reasons because i needed a little bit of that but just because uh it was world building right like through relationships they showed us heaven his shit with chelsea showed us amazing literally nothing uh literally nothing look 
Scott and I have been having sex for the past 10 minutes. We're waiting for you to plug in. So it showed us all about first and third person sex. This is true. This is true. Okay, wait. So what I was going to say, though, is that I agree with you guys on wanting something more from Juka. Up until then, he'd been kind of narrating from these different peoples. The, the spots where he'd say, imagine you are. Right. And I actually thought the one where he would say, imagine you are, and then be an inanimate object was really great. The one where he said, imagine you're a satellite, and then did all that was really great. And I realized later it fits in with the character, right? Because he's like, that's what his job is, to imagine mm-hmm. what other people are and do. And I thought it was nice when he said he could tell what someone's favorite color was by how they like moved their finger. I liked all the read the topology stuff. Yeah, except it just, I, I still got the end where I'm like, why are you on an alien mission? <laughs> he did seem useless well, in the end. Right. Like, those are good, those are good, like. No. Poker trick. <laughs> Hard disagree. Well, yes, he should have been playing poker. Right. But disagree, because when he said that thing, the fact that they were speaking in some some odd combination of a thousand different languages, then I actually felt like, phew, glad the synthesis is telling me this story, because he can make it comprehensible. You know this isn't real, right? <laughs> yeah, my only point with that is that it would have been nice to see it from Juka's side. I really can't believe that was that felt like such a missed opportunity. Look, we're, especially because Watts spent so much time like talking about how amazing a vampire's consciousness oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I agree with Bree. I think, no, <laughs> if you're going to introduce us to, like, this character that is the most fascinating character in your entire story and give us, like, this insight into all the others, like, why not give us the insight into him? You've laughed at me for this before, but it's hard to actually write non-humans. Like, otherness... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, fake laugh. But, like, real otherness is hard to embody. You can say someone is mysterious and strange and totally doesn't think like a human, but it's a human writing it. And it makes it hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I thought the satellite was good. Because to me, it's like, I got done with that section. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a satellite. Okay. Yeah, so it's like men write from, like, a woman's perspective. So just write from a fucking <laughs> vampire's perspective. More misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is why we didn't name Steve's first book, Women. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, wait. Can we get back to the aliens? Oh, Because okay. I want to talk about that. Rorschach. 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 So cheesy. I think he actually said when they saw Rorschach that it looked like the embodiment of torture. And all it was is basically like a fucking thornland. Like you build something up as the most fucked up crazy thing. And then it's just like black thorns, like Sleeping Beauty. I didn't see him building it up as a fucked up thing. I didn't, I didn't see... The embodiment of torture. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, very similar to Spear, it's like, okay, come up with a... Come up with a whole, whole, no more Spear. Well, all right, all right. Come up with the most, like, oh, this is the most alien thing that I could possibly imagine, but it's still a human imagining it, Brie. Exactly, that's So it's just like some bushel of thorns. and You, you guys seem to be Wait, hung up on the fact that humans write books. I want to go back to, <laughs> though it was a fantasy series, when his dark materials went to other planets, it actually made a species that I felt like was just determined by different evolutionary factors. They were wheels. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> no, wait. You're always mic dropping after his dark material and the wheel aliens. Like. We have like t- ten more minutes if you want to just keep going. <laughs> no, no, no. Say, oh, and yeah, as I think the aliens were dumb and seemed like insects. In this? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, I understand some critiques. I, mean, I guess I'm the one about to stick up for the aliens. Stick up for the aliens. <laughs> okay. I understand some critiques, but to say they're not othered seems kind of wrong, right? I mean, this is... Like he says, I mean, I thought it was very othered when they had that whole metaphor about the bees and the honeycombs, and when you finally realize that these scrambler things are not the alien itself, right? But like the 
accretion of the ship itself, which is... They're not the bees, they're the honeycomb. They're not the bees, they're the honeycomb. Like, an interesting concept that's other... And still, like, giving them a kind of, like, terrifying weight because they're still, like, smart. Yeah, I agree. I guess I was just saying more aesthetically, like, the description oh, of oh, the this... Ship. Yeah, it's... It, that, to me, was just like, okay... I'm fine with that. I think I've seen that before. Probably I can imagine it. I don't know. I kind of... No, they were just... They were octopus-like creatures that had a hive mind. And I feel like that's not that crazy. So they needed wheels to be, like, crazy. (laughs) Their bodies are wheels, Scott. I don't even get it. But see, okay, you're getting to the actual base misunderstanding of what Waz is doing here. I'm very base. I'm sorry. The, the otherness of this is that, like, no matter how weird they are, they're still subject to the same evolutionary laws. So saying that, like, the otherness in his Dark Materials that's interesting is that they're subject to a different type of evolution and so look different is exactly the point he's trying to make here. Like, there is no other evolution. There's only mm. evolution. This is what a kind of smart, maybe, thing, creature, that evolution can throw out, but it still might not be sentient. His Dark Materials is also really good. Okay. Yeah, I think you might, there might be childhood nostalgia. Oh, another big question about the book. What's invagination? <laughs> that's like the, like the swimming of like light and color, right? Like that's to like... become vaginas? <laughs> yeah. I admit, that word was used so many times. <laughs> there are a couple other ones where I'm like, is he just trying to make this like really sexual language? <laughs> a lot of invagination. I was masturbating throughout the book. So <laughs> I didn't even know what the words meant, but it's fine. And I guess then to push back to go full force on my alien, on my alien defense here. Wait, so the Rorschach thing, the the crown of thorns, that was like their spaceship, right? Circuit. I took it to be that this is like this is the beam, like it is a seed that like floats through space, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the scramblers are, are yeah are like components of it that it is dispatching. Like I that's, that's think what the I book took. wanted us to think that, but like let's be real, it was their spaceship planet. So like it didn't. It didn't. Actually, it was separate from that planet. No, it didn't really demonstrate anything for me that was not just a spaceship. Other by telling me, like, understand that you can't comprehend the magnitude of this creature. But the scramblers couldn't exist outside of this organism that was. They could. Russia. They were brought into the spaceship. At the end. But they, they. There was a whole part about how they would die if they were away from it for too long. Like fish yeah. out of water, but they didn't cease existing. They just died because of the atmosphere and shit. I took that it was all this one sort of like amorphous beam. Maybe we can talk about the ending then. Oh, the, you mean the, the Charbonus section? I loved it. No, not that one. Um, no. When they are ultimately like overrun. Were they invaded? Did Rorschach sneak up on them and like dock and then blow open a hole? Like, there was a, a lot about the carapace. A lot about <laughs> there was the, just like they're just breaching think, the carapace, they're doing stuff to I the carapace. I just think turtle the whole time. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't mysterious to me and maybe because it's because I did sort of zoom out during any of the any section in which there was a lot of jargon, which I basically thought, okay, they're fighting. Well, same yeah. here, but I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, maybe we can nail down those details now. Like, I know that there was like the final battle. That's what I'm trying to say. Because if you say that, Bree, then in your mind, how did the scramblers get on board the ship? Hopped over. <laughs> okay. Well, no, he said it, uh, like the scramblers could exist in space, like in the atmosphere. They didn't need a specialized atmosphere. Did you guys have a good enough idea of what the ship even looked like to understand how oh, like the Theseus? attack would? Ha- yeah, like all of these details to me were so vague and so vague. I was I was with Bree. Like I was just like, okay, these two entities are clashing somehow. 
tell me how it ends, and then I guess I'll yeah. you know, go to the gym afterwards. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I feel like there was a section right at the very beginning when, when Siri was floating around the ship that we we're supposed to be getting, like, the lay of the land. And I was, even then I was like, whatever, I don't mm-hmm. know. He kept saying something about a drum. Yeah, which is uh, still, to me, entirely nonsensical. Whatever the drum is. All right. But that's what I'm wondering. Wait, so, okay, how did Cunningham die? Oh, Cunningham died because my understanding was that basically the alien monster put on a, whatever you send at me, I send back at you shield. And so they sent, I think, microwaves. They were killing people with microwaves. (laughs) They sent microwave beams at the ship, and the ship said, microwave beams back, and it killed Cunningham. (laughs) That's all I needed to know. So you're really far off, I think, on this. Because Cunningham's the only one that was actually killed by one of the scramblers. Are you talking about the first biologist? No. Cunningham oh. was Spinzel's okay. replacement. Well, yeah. I was talking about Spinzel. Oh. Sorry, who am I? Well, because he was the one that, like, went to go check on something, and then Siri thought, like, he saw him waving, but it was just, like, the scrambler on his back. That wasn't uh, weird, right? He was attacked by a spider monster, and the spider the, monster killed him and shook him around. But, but the whole implication was that the one that they'd initially killed was alive again. Yeah, he had just gone into, like, a deep vampiric sleep and now he was back okay wait See, what's your question <laughs> i just want to know how <laughs> to miss cunningham no, i'm saying okay I, okay so this gets to my broader point which is that i think it's like a deficit for the book that yeah. like these big like actual plot points about like the final battle were really vague about what oh, actually happened obscured under so much yeah. bad language yeah. and just like oh yeah like the, i mean i think there were places where i agree with you that like watts's language like was like all right, I don't quite get it, but it's doing something for me. But then in this climactic scene, it was just like this is, this is you tossing like pickup sticks on the ground. I don't uh, know like which one to pick up first. I agree. I'm a writer, so I come up. I was about to say pickup sticks. Yeah, blew my mind. Yeah, yes. <laughs> got you with that one. Okay, I wanted to get to one more kind of bigger question because I remember when we started this, Scott, you were talking about something you wanted to sort of get from the reading in general was a sense of awe and maybe a sense of wonder in relation to a scale. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if y'all felt that. I love Scott's stuff. thing about a sense of awe. Okay. It's enough about it. Scott. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. he, we went to see Godzilla once and he gave me the speech about a sense of awe versus like a sense of fear. And Is I was that like, where it came from? Oh my God. Fucking ridiculous. Godzilla helps solidify some of these feelings, yes. <laughs> All right. So what if, since you love it so much... Uh, right. What y'all think about Godzilla? That? <laughs> I didn't like Brian Cranston, and I liked him better in Breaking Bad. What right. Are you about? I, I guess it's a good question. I go. I think I'm with exactly Steve on. You two take it. <laughs> I love Steve. <laughs> I'm with Steve. I think he's like really cute. Um, <laughs> his part when he was so like yeah in relation to a sense of awe, it did that kind of well a couple times when they were just flat out discussing like, this in relation to their own world and, and, like, the ship and the being, rather than him trying to make philosophical points that resonate for, like, a, a real-world audience. Just kind of when they're talking about the biology of this thing, what it might be like, how terrifying that is that, you know, you can have this kind of intelligence and, like, power, but it's not coupled with any sort of, like, awareness of what it's doing. But, like, on the off scale, that was kind of tempered by some of the other things. Yes, I don't know, Steve, do you think that... Is that how you kind of saw those sections? I admire, I admire the project. I admired the imagination involved. And there, there were components of the book that I, I really enjoyed and read with, uh, you know, a lot of attention and 
it's just sort of like that sense of joy when you're reading something that is just purely entertaining. But, you know, as a whole, I, I, I do think, like, get some really good editor in there and be like, dude, just tell us what happens to Cunningham? Like, that kind of thing. I feel like if you try for this sense of awe that is, like, so opaque to the reader that they can't even, like, determine what's happening, then you're defeating your own purpose. Do you, did you feel any awe at points, Bruce? I mean, yeah, for sure. As I said, like, apart from the end of the book, which is not most of it, I thought the jargon was fine. Mm-hmm. I was going with it. And I actually did think, like, the, the message of the book that became too bogged down at the end, but the whole, uh, the thought that, like, the mysteries of humanity are mm-hmm. not our emotions or our, like, unbelievable connections, but actually, like, our neurology and how we deceive ourselves and stuff like that. I actually did think that those thoughts, like, I feel cheesy, but, like, set against dark, infinite space put like this stark relief to the whole thing that did give me a sense of like us kind of amplified by the universe and I felt a sense of awe. I basically just became frustrated with the end. Did you feel like he was trying to do anything or say anything here about disability? I love that question. (laughs) I thought about it too. Basically because of like the epilepsy and the removal of the brain and stuff like that. Oh, I'm kind of (laughs) cheating because I just tried to like find this book at the library, at the university library. The only thing they had was like a reference to it in a book on disability and science fiction. Look at the library being on top of it. Oh, that yeah. librarian has read this book. <laughs> it was it was a computer. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Well. You're right, though. Most libraries have a policy that the librarian has to read <laughs> every single book <laughs> that comes in, I think. Okay. <laughs> it's exactly what kept me away from library sciences. <laughs> the outfits made me want it. But. Right. <laughs> I thought about that when I was reading it and coming up with ridiculous questions to ask you all. I ultimately decided, no, it doesn't. It views mental illness as only like a natural output of human brains and not as something that there should be a stigma with or anything like that. But in terms of disability, if it is saying anything about disability, it's pretty fucking grim because the way every character in the book judges Siri for what he absolutely can't control, and like he says, his parents basically killed him when he was a child. Like, if it's saying something about disability, it's like, fuck you, you have a disability. Or it's saying the opposite, that, that I mean, there's a couple times when he was kind of upset, and he said sometimes he can remember what it was like before the surgery, and he wakes up smiling. Oh, feelings. <laughs> but, so, if anything, there's a message was like, making him whole in this way has cut him off from his humanity and his humanness. If, like, flawed, he was still something before. When I say if it says something about disability, it's really dark and grim, it's that his disability has cut him off from his humanity. But no, no, and no, so I that think, essentially dehumanizes him. No, 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 I think the, the, the disability's gone. The disability I'm talking about is not one that's, like, in the future, but, like, now, which is he has epilepsy. And he's fixed. His disability is fixed by these futuristic neurological surgeries, which Watts says kind of like fuck him up. I don't know. What do you? But think also, ev- every character presented in the book has quote unquote some sort of disability, mm. whether it's right. multiple personality disorder or vampirism, or they're <laughs> in heaven and their colors um, 
It's just like it's like there's something about the no- the novel that's saying like every single person has some sort of damage, mm. and I, again, I just think serious damage is actually like not that interesting. <laughs> uh, Amanda Bates's damage was interesting. What do you mean? Amanda Bates was the least damaged of oh. all the characters. No, she was. She was. We did uh, get that strange flashback to her. Torturer. She was a. Uh, she, you know, she was a. A lot of people are torturers who aren't. Damaged. Well, I think that's a damaged thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, because you judge that behavior. Who's your favorite? People. Like I do judge that story. behavior of torturing people. Pretty. <laughs> Do you want to come down the side of like? Tor- tor- no, I'm just saying. This has actually I- gotten a racist. Thing. <laughs> no, I'm saying that to pathologize torturers as being essentially damaged is to actually take away their culpability for what they're doing. Steve's it making is not a point a mental about mental illness that makes people torture. Steve's people. making a, a point about the book, and you're relating it to real life. Steve's saying we got a background on her that situated her damage within like real life consequences. Wait, can you describe to to me her damage? Do you mean when she, I thought that was a tactical move when she decided to talk to that that torture victim? That's what we're just saying. She was the only one that we also got another like background perspective on for some reason, which might've just been an oversight on Watts's part. But I think was the only other like person that was trying to, he was trying to contextualize their present like disposition. Well, and I'm not trying to say that like that like the equivalence of her uh, culpability within what she was doing is the same as epilepsy. That is not the comparison I'm making. What I'm saying is you, that you do hate epileptic people. I, right? Well, come on, they're fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> is that going to get out of that? I don't know. We don't know. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, there there is something about like so he is presenting us with not a single character who you would by whatever measure define as like a normal human person in this like right. normal human people that we think of do not, are not torturers like i completely disagree i think that he <laughs> had half his brain removed and she was just like a super pow- powerful yeah, person yeah but he, in he just wrote he like some mopey people. fuck like he didn't like write like a person with half his brain removed like his right. voice was just like this mopey like Oh, I was with this woman, and I could never love her. I didn't have the algorithm. He's a like, fucking synthesis. He has learned to mimic human speech patterns and talk that way. But he is not... The book built in an apology for him and the fact that he seems human, even although he isn't. I am critiquing Peter Watts' writing of the character, not the character himself, like, who I guess can exist in whatever space he needs to. But what Watts has given us is like essentially like a mopey first-person narrator who could be plugged into like any conventional literary novel as like, I can't feel anything. I'm so dead in. I'm so zoned out. I have taken too much Prozac. Like it's like, I totally agree, especially with his relationship with Chelsea. But beyond that, Watts also gave us a perfect excuse for that, which is the fact that he has learned to behave this way. And if he does seem mopey, it's a success. He seemed human. Yeah, but wait, I thought he was not supposed to seem human. Like his yeah. recog- his no, recognition. No, if he's a good synthesis, then he does seem seem human. The point is, and I agree that it's never fulfilled, is that actually he's not in some way we can't comprehend. And there was a point of the book where they really built a lot of suspense about that, and it was when everyone. What, what else point was that? When yeah. it when we realized that everyone else on the ship was talking about him the whole time, and there were things he didn't know that were going on, and they all had feelings about him, and they had been to some extent in on this coup that ended with Sarasti killing him. Right. But that was never really explained. I mean, I was excited about that because I, I thought for was, a while that I had an unreliable narrative. But that was still unrealized. Like, we didn't actually, like... It was unrealized. Okay. But I believe We in agree about dream. everything. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to come to that marginal point of consensus. Um, Wait, first, can I say my favorite line of the book? Yes. Everything I liked about the book, I liked in this line. Sometimes we took refuge in our diving bell while waves of charge and magnetism spiraled languidly past... 
like boluses of ectoplasm coursing down the intestine of some poltergeist god. Love it. Okay, now I'll read my favorite one. Oh, yeah. But now we were all cavemen again, huddling beneath some overhang while lightning split the heavens and vast formless monsters, barely glimpsed in bright, strobe-frozen instants, roared and clashed in the darkness on all sides. Love it, similar to mine. I had to steal my thunder there, didn't Mine was you? like a better version of yours. I think you're going to be off the podcast after this. <laughs> I, I mean, I think those bring to mind that, like, what I didn't like about the final 100 pages have clouded some of the things that I think really worked in that first part. In a way that I haven't yet seen from a book that we've read for this. That the language and, like, the plot kind of coalesced to do something that I thought was really interesting. Whereas in some of the other ones, it would be a piece or two of that, but hardly ever all of them together. I, I haven't read any of the other books you guys have read on the podcast, but I know this is better than some of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you're probably right. All right, well then, let's go to our final segment. Shame factor. Cringe. Cringe factor. Cringe factor. Okay. Um, I'm pretty shameless in most regards, so the only cringe factor is, I read it on an iPad, so like I was like... Not fair. immune from everything the, oh. the cover is sort of bullshit like it sort of <laughs> looks pathetic it makes me sad because uh, it's got like sort of the crown of thorns peeking out of this toy spaceship and it looks terrible um i would what was there like a rating is there a no just i'd be fine with reading this oh yeah no it's one out of five. Oh, one out of five cringe five factor. being the most cringe five being like you yeah. like you really you can't take this out of the you house you lock the door it's not your... goblin emperor so <laughs> Uh, no, it's, it's like a, it's like a two. Would you, okay, so you didn't have your iPad, you had the book. Right. Would you, there's a really cute, I would not bring cool it around book. the Iowa Writers Workshop. You wouldn't bring it around the Iowa Workshop? Would okay. <laughs> would I you would read not. it on a bus? <laughs> yeah, I'd read it on a bus. Okay. Yeah. Would you read it in a bar? Uh, probably not. A little higher than a two then. I'm Sounds single, like it's I'm trying three. to get laid, I'm trying to <laughs> have a life here. Girls love blindsight. <laughs> no girls love blindsight. <laughs> the cover is, I think, unfortunately bad. Like the space, like once I okay, realized so what, what it was. Scott? Yeah, I, uh, those other things. I don't think it has a reputation. I'm sure there's no, there's nothing you have to like weight your baggage you have to bear with that. So it's basically the cover and the title and eh, blindsight. Not that bad. Not that bad. Yeah, 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 it could be, could be something. The cover in my head had like blended into a red and black thing that I didn't even think about till we looked at it and I said like, oh, this is a toy spaceship next to that blue electricity, like, thorn crown. And that was pretty bad. I've read th- I read it on the bus a couple times, but it was also one I kept firmly between my lap. I'll go two and a half. Two and a half. I've heard on the podcast before that you just add a point five to or detract a point <laughs> oh, five. Those are the final ratings. ratings. You'll see. He's yeah. gonna want to go to last. <laughs> dedicated listener. <laughs> um, I would give it a zero on the cringe factor Whoa. because of misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Wait, explain. Well, because I've realized from reading a lot of these books out in the open where people can see me, if you're a girl reading a sci-fi book, you're considered like kind of cool or part of the boys club, even among men who don't read sci-fi. It's this thing and it is bullshit and it's where sci-fi is associated with men and fantasy is associated with women. So like even the people who kind of think there's something bad about sci-fi, it's about an excess of intellect and you know, so they become nerds. But if you like fantasy then it's an excess of emotion and even the guys who like fantasy become more like pussies than nerds you know so i find that reading in public there's absolutely no cringe or shame factor because if a guy realizes i'm reading it he thinks like oh she's weird but she's cool that was way too smart to take we were talking about the cover (laughs) (laughs) what's with that lightning 
That was weird. <laughs> no, I mean, and the cover was boring as shit. Whatever. Yeah. Okay, well, let's wrap things up then. Let's let's end with a cup with with our ratings. How many imaginations do you give this? I give this. Remember, more than one's weird. <laughs> <laughs> 8.1 Whoa! Whoa! You were just talking about how we were going to be the ones who loved it. Well, no, I've accepted part of the conceit of the podcast is that <laughs> I will like everything more than everyone else. You don't know that. You don't know that. Yeah, it's kind of true, though. It's not. And the fact is, like, I don't really like sci-fi, and I was completely impressed by this book for 70% of it. That's a good way to put it. I was, I was there. I was into it. I thought I would be super bored and off-put, but I wasn't. I was engaged. And then the book dropped the ball, but whatever. Every fucking book we've met has dropped the ball in the end. Not mm-hmm. men, red. They're not people. <laughs> and some of them feel like so family, though. I give it, did I say 7.9 or 8.1? 8.1. I want to go to 7.9. Well, you, we'll stick with a firm 8.1. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Scott, what did you give it? 7.6. We'll go 7.6. That's fucking six. ridiculous. You have to stop doing this. All right. I mean, I think Brie put it well. I guess this is the first, I mean, going back to how we started with that first passage, I was a little concerned with that in that I didn't really want to read everything but twice to figure out what was going on. I couldn't tell how representative this was of hard sci-fi, if that was particular to him or like an expectation of the genre for hard sci-fi. And I didn't know how I'd be able to deal with that. But I ended up really liking it. And I liked, you know, I'm exactly with Bree. 70% of the way through, I thought, he had managed to combine both the philosophical elements, the hard sci-fi-ness, and like the kind of really interesting alien encounter con- first contact story. There were a lot of things that I was hoping to see in the final that never really came together. I'm going to go 7.9. <laughs> Jesus, you can't do that. It's where I was going to go anyway. All right. No more talking for Scott. <laughs> All right, Steve, Steve what do you it. give it? How many imaginations, Steve? Well, I'll, I'll say this about the book. Uh, I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was, uh, I, you know, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was well written. Thought it had some ideas in it that I was intrigued by. How did your expectations starting this compare? I, to I think it exactly met my expectations, which okay. is uh, you pick up a genre novel and you're not. I'm not. I'm never expecting to be like, oh, I can't believe I just read this amazing thing. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting to be entertained, pass some time be momentarily uh, relieved of the duty of being alive in the real world. <laughs> uh, Heaven. <laughs> but I'm going to have to go with, I'm going to have 6.7. Ooh. I think ultimately I, the book was told from the wrong point of view. That's a nice criticism. You're saving your profound critique for the end. Uh, I mean, I feel like I mentioned it, that like I think Siri was ultimately like not the character to tell the story. Uh, I think if you go with a... Close third person and rotate between several different characters. That's a way more interesting novel. Siri was the synthesis. You wouldn't have been able to read the novel. Yeah, no, because it's just <laughs> still a kidding? novel. So it's in it's eight like... languages and half math. <laughs> Would have been different. I wanted the page of just equations and algorithms like oh, flying by. Fuck, watch it. I bet you get it in some of them. <laughs> well, next time, yeah, we'll do like a... A we... fantasy, high fantasy. He has to come back. Yeah, that. just one of these super smutty fantasy books. It's like, yeah. All right, see you then. All right, well, thank you for listening to this episode of Genre Stop. Check back in next time when we will be reading The Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb. I hate you, I hate you, where did it go?